Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview series. I'm Kate Gamble, Managing Editor and Director of Social Media. Today I'm speaking with Terry Kautz, Chief Digital Officer at Guthrie Clinic, about the virtual command center that she believes will help centralize IT functions, improve access to care, and ease the burden on nurses. We also talk about how her team is revamping their data analytics strategy to turn users into owners, and why that matters, and why she believes it's more important to learn fast than to fail fast. I think we spoke sometime last year, but uh, there's so much that changes. So I, I wanted to, to get into more of what you guys are doing and um, just uh, hear about you know what your uh, what your plans are. Yeah, yeah. So we have are launching, or at least we're in the early stages of our command center that's housing virtual care models and operation components to kind of manage aspects from a system perspective. It's so it's in a location that's off of any of our hospital sites. It is attached to an MOB building though. It houses, currently houses virtual RNs. It houses EICU, centralized telemetry, centralized tele-sitting, and then our transfer center. So calls in and out in bed placement. And then in the near future, it's going to grow to house things like EDF and transport and an even nurse staffing office so that as we manage patient flow, it can be centralized in a way that supports the whole system and not just siloed in the approach that you, you're thinking of your own facility. Um, yeah. We span about 9,000 square miles cover both New York and PA states uh, on the southern and northern tier of those two states. And capacity can be a challenge when everybody's trying to get into like our highest level of care, which is Robert Packer Hospital, when some of these patients can be managed in other locations, particularly with some intensivist support that they didn't have at us prior to our EICU program. So we have a we have a partnership with ECWM, which is a, an intensive virtual intensivist group that provides 24-7 coverage for those hospitals that had only hospitalists, not intensivists on site. So it allows them to keep those patients closer to their home, unless there's a reason. So like if there's a procedure that they don't do there or something like that, um, then they get transferred. So that's been our largest focus ever we're doing journey to the cloud and revamping our analytics too to kind of transform how we use data because we've historically been kind of reactive to data instead of using data to drive decisions. Okay. So with with the command center, you said that right now it is doing EICU and telesitting. And what's telesitting? So telesitting is patients that have like a fall risk or or low ideation of suicide um, can be watched remotely through a camera. Prior to telesitting, we would have to have a one-to-one, so somebody sitting in that room. With telesitting, um, they can monitor up to 20 patients apiece, so giving us the ability. And, and then it's, it's not restricted to location, so it's across our system. Okay. We're using an AI platform to help, help with that, too. So it's called Artisite. So they, okay. they have the visualization of the patient, but they also have the AI that's based on movements of that patient, it will alert to an increased risk of, of fall. Kind of like my phone has a, an outline, the same kind of thing. It's red, yellow, and green, depending on, depending on the movement of that patient in the room. 
So is it a partnership where you're working with them? Are they development partners or how would you kind of characterize it with Artisite? Yeah, so they, they are a platform that exists today. However, we are partnered with them on some additional use cases for co-development. For example, we are co-developing some automated documentation. So, so our cameras are in the temporary patient room. And so using the camera in the room, um, if a patient has like incentive spirometry order, and do you know what that is where you have to kind of blow into the after surgery or if you have some kind of chronic lung disease? That typically is done like every two hours or every hour. And so a nurse typically would have to come in, remind the patient, observe the patient did it, and then go back and document, hopefully, if they remember. And so what we're doing is using, based on the integration with the EMR, that they they know that this patient requires the incentive spirometer that they remind every hour. If the camera observes, they're not going to remind because they've already done it. Once they remind in they do it, the camera can observe, and then also translate that into the EMR to document they've done it. So taking all of that workload off of the nurse to be freed for other things. We're looking at also things like we've instituted a program called eye care, which is how you interact with a patient, and part of that is introduction and knocking on the door when you come into the room and just observing the knock so that we can maybe re-educate in departments that aren't doing it well. So, you know, using it for patient engagement. It already has a pressure ulcer algorithm built into it. So based on the turn of a patient, um, the camera can observe if that's done, if that's been done or not. And if they, if it hasn't been done in the time frame allocated, it can then alert a nurse to that the patient requires turning to, to reduce pressure ulcers. And then the final thing that we're implementing this year is a workplace violence. So tons of increased aggression in the hospital setting, patients assaulting their caregivers. And so we're using the artisite cameras to alert security that there, there's a need in the room. So we're just saying a code word like, hey, artisite, test speakers. So the patient isn't necessarily aware that that's what they're doing, but it kind of alerts that there's some additional help going to be needed in the room before it escalates further. Trying to figure out all kinds of use cases that require um, a little bit of development, but it's mainly just training either the camera or the speakers to pick up what you're, you're trying to pick up. With how your organization is set up and being so you know widespread, virtual nursing initiatives really do make a lot of sense, but... What would you say have been the challenges in getting this set up? So the challenges for virtual nursing in particular has been staff understanding that we're, that this is an additive support, not necessarily replacing the, the bedside nurse. So there's a lot of fear around, you know, they're going to increase my ratios, those kinds of things. And then also, you know, are, are they monitoring me? So are, you know, is this a big brother approach because the camera is in the ceiling it does have, when you turn it on, it does have a doorbell that rings, so you, you know that somebody's entering the room, but it's yeah. still that perception. And so a lot of communication around that. You know, it, it, we have five hospitals. We went live with ICU first, so we have two virtual nurse, nurse components. One is ICU critical care, and the other is med surge. And they're staffed a little bit differently, and what they're doing is a little bit different, too. But the ICU was first because we had a ton of new nurses that, that were going straight into the ICU that didn't have that experience, that kind of intuition that you get as you, as you, bec- 
become, you know, more familiar with patients and how they look and respond and those kinds of things. And they felt like they didn't have any kind of reach out. So we wanted to, part of the goal was retention of our nurses. And so we really wanted this to be kind of like a call for help or a secondhand phone a friend kind of thing. And there's been a, a ton of quick wins that have helped some nursing units attach pretty quickly. And then others that have been a little more resistant, we've had to kind of drag them to to the water. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're slowly drinking, but they're not necessarily thirsty yet. So it, I, I wouldn't say it's been 100% easy. The one hospital that we're having a little bit of challenge with uh, is also Union. So there's a little bit of culture just there too. But there's been so many quick wins around helping somebody know how to like give medications through a peg tube, and they've never done that before. Like they may have done it once in nursing school and never done it elsewhere. Second sign of like medications. So mm-hmm. being able high risk meds like heparin, it, we did a time study. It took like 36 minutes to find a, another nurse to come to leave what they were doing to come in do that second sign, and to go back. And with the virtual nurse, it's like 33 seconds. The assisting with codes, because once a code starts, they can come in, they can help with documentation, they can help with even a simple thing like observation. They were noticing because of the band that they have of the room, they noticed that the person given chest compressions was getting tired and suggested, you might switch out, it looks like it's not as impactful. Um, yeah. And they, they were able to make that suggestion in a way that was, you know, a team approach. And just a lot of little things like that. But I think the biggest value is like having all of these components in one room or one command center. It's the synergies among the team. And I'll give you an example. Um, We had a call come into our transfer center from one of our um, critical access hospitals. The patient was being intubated, was in critical need, needed to get to Robert Packer pretty quickly. Um, so they called the transfer center to arrange that transport. As they were arranging the transport, they turned around to the virtual nurse and said, you know, you have a really critical patient at Troy. You might want to help, you know, pan in and help. So they were able to kind of ping into the room, start assisting the, the nursing staff there. And at the same time, they were starting to communicate with the receiving uh, nurse on clearing out a bed and, and doing all those things. And like the synergies in that allowed that transfer that would have probably been lots of different steps to happen almost seamlessly. And, you know, somebody who was in cardiogenic shock was able to go home in, in two days. So it, it was pretty amazing. So you have, you have metrics and then you also have like anecdotal stories to kind of drive that this is working. Right. So, of course, we have accepted transfers in and out, being able to um, take more patients at at the right location. So, um, keeping some of the lower acuity ICU patients in those other two ICU hospital locations and only saving our higher acuity trauma trauma one facility um, for those that need it. We also are measuring like weaning time up of a off of a um, ventilator because with Equum being part of that care team 24-7, then patient may be ready to wean at like 11 o'clock at night, but we don't have a you know an intensivist that was rounding. So we have to wait to the next day. Now they can start that weaning protocol. We're looking at sepsis uh, reduction and uh, length of stay and excess days. There's all kinds of metrics that we're tracking, the types of, types of interactions that we have with the patients. 
As far as how the command center is set up, were certain people kind of pulled from different departments or how was that uh, staffed? Yeah, so telesitting started off about a year ago before we were in the central location. It, it was our first use case with Artisite. It was a pretty easy kind of ROI because of the number of staff that you could reduce on the one-to-one -one sit. So they were already staffed. We just moved their location. However, it was still a challenge because they were sitting in a Pennsylvania location and we were moving them to a New York location. doesn't seem like a big deal, but it was a big deal. <laughs> yeah, sure. um, The same thing for our transfer center staff. So our transfer center staff was at Robert Packer Hospital and they only focused on transfers in and out of Robert Packer. We um, moved them with the idea that they will focus on the system uh, and not just Robert Packer. And then our central telemetry, we pulled from a couple different locations. The only location that we couldn't pull from was Corning because they're union, and so there were some challenges around that. So we did pull. Some people opted out and chose to get um, another role, but most people have taken on. And then the virtual nurses um, were all net new hired. Okay. So um, can you talk a little bit about revamping analytics and what has to be done there? Can you talk about what you guys are looking to do? Yeah, so, you know, our analytics, we've been an Epic customer since 2003, and so re really our analytics department was built around that, you know, mm -hmm. the, the getting data out of Epic for the things that we need. But as healthcare has been becoming more agile and how they course correct, um, there's a lot of things that are not in the EMR that need to be aggregated to get you the full picture. So, you know, our cost accounting system, even our ERP and human capital system, and then some outside sources like Crestini and, and some other benchmarking data sets. And so looking to bring all of those data feeds into a data lake in Azure in the cloud um, so that we can build out the governance around it with definition, ownership, and contributors, and even like information, like a catalog around information that you, where the data sources are coming from, and then allowing our users to to be able to ask insightful questions, to pull the data and aggregate it in a way that they can use it for whatever decision they're trying to make. We were transitioning from a very feed you the data to a more of a kind of fetch the data scenario. We had, I think, like 1,100 reports being emailed out <laughs> on a batch job. <laughs> Um, and we don't even know if they're using the reports, if the yeah. data, is it value added or not. So we're really taking the approach of flipping that on its head and having our users be the owners of the data. Um, and we're just feeding it through a platform that's a little more agile. Okay. And um, I saw that Guthrie recently won a health technology excellence award. So just wanted to kind of talk about what something like that means to the organization. I mean, every, everyone's just working so hard, so I'm sure to see it recognized is really uh, impactful. You know, I think for us here at Guthrie, you know, we're not a large system with a ton of resources. We serve rural communities, so we, we're struggling with reimbursement for the work that we do because of, you know, we're primarily Medicare, Medicaid. So we have to find how to be nimble and, yeah. and to do these great things. And being recognized with ECRI was, you know, we were competing against like John Hopkins and a couple others that knowing that we could have such an impact using mostly the technology that we had and just being creative and innovative of how we augment what Epic couldn't do 
to pull that together. Like an EICU through a platform like Philips is just not attainable. It's not something that we can afford. But being able to add some cameras, a little bit of innovation, we were able to pull something very similar that has a ton of impact and being recognized for the quality aspect of that in the technology world was really exciting, Mm. particularly because I'm a nurse, so I I like those things. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure it is really advantageous for you having that background. I would think that part of it is having, you know, credibility, but also maybe just understanding maybe a little bit more about workflows and how they affect people who are using them. Yeah. And then tying it back to the patient. So sometimes in an IT world, they get a ticket and they don't really understand the level of impact or the level of nuisance or something of that nature that it, you know, the technology, I mean, we obviously we can't do anything without technology. We're in that kind of world today, but it can also be such a barrier to um, and making it so that it's seamless. It takes a ton of work on the translation. And so I think my role in particular, I'm able to help level set and make that connection to not only my end users that I'm, that I hear you and we're going to try to address this, but also to my staff who, who needs to respond to that and respond to it in a way that's compassionate and has empathy and all those things that come, you know, come to the table with healthcare. Um, yeah. And um, you were recently, uh, you're now C- chief digital officer, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So is that kind of just a reflection of where the organization is going or where your focus is? Yeah, absolutely. So we, um, we are, so I still have all the traditional CIO responsibilities, um, mm-hmm. but the the digital aspect on it is really the sponsorship of the organization on on the support on the use of technology to enable care. So it's really not this like we have to do this, but really how can we drive care differently? Because care models have to change. We can't continue to do what we've done in the past and expect to, to survive. And so how do we look at it a little differently, like rethink the process and then apply the technology that helps enable that. And and the Pulse Center is a perfect example of that where we can monitor multiple patients in a different kind of setting and still have a ton of value. Some of that is direct replacement of staff, but some of it is a support structure for staff because the nurse at the bedside, the care is just different. It's more complex, our patients are sicker, and we really, because of regulatory and some other components, you know, there's some things that have to happen in order for us to get reimbursed, but that shouldn't be their focus. Their focus should be the, the patient in the bed. Yeah. And it's it seems like kind of um, an interesting dichotomy because your organization is doing all this cutting edge work, but you still have the challenges of rural healthcare. So I'm sure that that's something that's uh, definitely weighs heavily on you. Yeah. And everybody struggles with workforce. I mean, you go through a drive-through at McDonald's. It still takes you thirty. It takes you thirty minutes now to get food because it's no longer fast food. Um, so everybody's struggling, and then the, just the higher skill set of having nurses and the licensed um, individuals is we can't produce them fast enough. Um, it's kind of like this paradigm where you know we had the pandemic who kind of influenced this mass exodus from healthcare with people not wanting to go into healthcare because. For a long time, they were think, thought of heroes, but not not so much anymore. And then, you know, there's the fact that we have a bunch of baby boomers who are going into retirement. 
and you know we can't produce it fast enough so we have to change we, we don't have an option if we're not going to do it now i think that there's going to be a lot more places that close because they just haven't made the investment in, in figuring out the process around it yeah it's something that virtual nursing makes just so much sense on the surface but it's a matter of getting everything in order getting the infrastructure there and you know taking the leap i guess and I mean, I kind of envision in the next year that we won't have a traditional discharge, that discharging will be all digital, that mm -hmm. you will have somebody come into your room, they will help you with your education, um, make sure you have your transportation arranged, they will call the transporter, they will call the EDS staff. The nurse won't have to intervene in any of that because it will be all queued up to then you just go home because it's time for you to go home instead of this waiting you know, a lot of throughput issues is because we can't get them out the door. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of initiatives, health systems around, you know, trying to get them out of, out by noon just so that you can put somebody else in that bed. But, you know, it's, it's just thinking it differently. And I think this kind of interaction is going to be normal for people. And this is going to be the same way that you get your information on going home, but also the registration too, or even some consult. So, you know, you may not have the anesthesia come to your room and check on you. They may actually ping in and check on you this way. You know, it's, it's a different way of working. Yeah. There's a lot, lot of opportunities for, uh, for virtual and digital to really make things easier. Yeah. I do think you have to move fast. So I hear um, a lot of people talk about fail fast, but I really think it's learn fast. Let's learn what didn't work and kind of like reiterate and keep going because you can be stalled forever in pilots and, and trying to get it right. And healthcare, we're so risk adverse. Like it's never going to be perfect, but let's figure out what worked and just continue to improve upon that. Otherwise, it's going to you know, take forever to stand up programs and the adoption will be less than optimal. Yeah learn fast. I like that. And it's emphasizing the learning part. Well, because failure has such a bad feel to it. There's lots of things that don't work and you learn from it and you just change it up. It doesn't have to be, you hear about like um, patient safety where it's like just culture where you report and you learn and you kind of get feedback loops. This is similar concepts that you learn from it, reiterate, just keep changing the process until it does work well, until it's baked into whatever you're doing. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.